0: Russia rains missiles on Ukrainian cities after an explosion on a Crimean bridge that Putin blames Ukrainian special forces for. As the war in Ukraine continues for an eighth month, the death toll continues to rise. More than two-thirds of the United Nations votes against Russia's annexation. Can India continue to abstain? Hello and welcome to Worldview at the Hindu with me, Sohasini Heather. This is episode 83 in what has really been a particularly heated week in the war in Ukraine. We're seeing an eruption of hostilities that really could change the course of the war. In particular, there was this visual of a truck exploding on the Kerch Bridge, as it's known, that connects Russia to the Crimean Peninsula. It really set off hopes for some in Ukraine that this was going to damage Russia's campaign, that this was a point of no return, but then came the retaliatory strikes. Uh, let's just unpack all that happened. To begin with, let's give you some context. A few weeks ago, at the end of September, after holding what it called what the Ukraine called rigged referendums, Russia that had held these referendums in four areas of Ukraine, Russian President Vladimir Putin announced with great fanfare and a rock concert annexation of four areas of Ukraine into Russian territory. And those were Donetsk, Luhansk, and then Zaporizhia as well as Kherson. This triggered a new round of United Nations, United States and European Union sanctions and a sharp reaction from Ukrainian President Vladimir Z- Zelensky, who filed a fast-track application for membership of NATO, the Northern Atlantic Treaty Organization that binds North America and Europe together. This took tensions to a whole new level. And then this is what happened this week. On October the 8th, which was a Saturday, a massive explosion ripped through Europe's longest bridge. It's the Crimean Bridge or the Kerch Strait Bridge. It's really a set of parallel road rail tracks that are 19 kilometers long. In that explosion, at least three people died and there was a devastating fire, a lot of damage to the bridge that was subsequently uh, repaired. Putin's reaction was immediate to what he said on television was a terrorist strike. He sent several rounds over a number of days of missile attacks on 40 Ukrainian cities and towns, including on residential buildings, civilian casualties there, as well as power plants. The energy infrastructure of Ukraine was targeted. Ukraine that has asked the US and EU for more advanced air defense systems also allegedly struck the Russian city of Belgorod. Troops uh, or Ukrainian troops have also retaken some territory in Kherson and Luhansk in the past few weeks. So there is a little bit of pushback as well. And if you take a look at the map, you can see how much that pushback is. This is the latest position from day 232. Russian troops have taken land that really completes the connection, if you look at it, all the way to Crimea. That was annexed in 2014. So now it has that land route all the way. On paper, this land actually takes up 15% of Ukrainian territory or 90,000 square kilometers of Ukraine have now been taken by Russia. But you can see also the areas of pushback there in Kherson and Luhansk, but not really enough to change the, uh, turn the tide of what has been Russia's campaign since February. So where is that big organization, the United Nations, in all of this? Because this was another big player during the week. The UN really does uh, seem to be completely paralyzed in effecting peace. Since the invasion was carried out by a permanent member of the Security Council, Russia, Every resolution in the U.N. Security Council has been vetoed. And that has really stopped the Security Council from taking any action. Then, this week, after Russia had vetoed a U.N. Security Council resolution against those referendums in the four areas, the U.N. General Assembly took up the resolution this week. The outcome was overwhelming. 143 of 193 members voted for the resolution to reject the referendums and to reject the annexation of Ukrainian territories by Russia. five countries, including Russia, Belarus, Nicaragua, North Korea and Syria actually voted against the resolution. India has been, as it always has, voted to abstain. It was among 35 countries that abstained and we'll speak about that in just a bit. India, countries in the subcontinent as well as China were among the countries that abstained. Now, UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, he's visiting India, in fact, this week, has, in fact, had a difficult role in all of this because right at the beginning of the Russian invasion, he took a very critical stand on Russia and, in a sense, reduced his own ability to be seen as a fair broker in all of this, reducing his ability to mediate. The United Nations was successful in one place in particular on mediating to lift the Russian and Ukrainian blocks on food shipment exports, on wheat, sunflower oil, and other commodities to the rest of the world. This was a very important moment, particularly for India, where who has been worried about food and energy security. It'll also be important to watch what role, if any, the UN can play ahead of the G20 summit in Indonesia. And that's just next month. Uh, President Putin has said he will attend, US President Biden and other Western coalition countries have actually threatened to boycott his appearances. A joint communique, a family photograph as is normally held at the end of the summit now seems virtually impossible. Particularly important what happens is for India because India will take over the G20 presidency in December, will host the G20 summit next year. So this will all really play into India's position as well. What has India's position at the United Nations been? I said we'll talk a bit about that. It really has changed very little to begin with. In the past month, it has voted, and many have noted that, that India has voted against Russia twice at the UN Security Council. But both times, they were on procedural votes, allowing President uh, Zelensky to address the United Nations virtually instead of coming in person, for example. It was one of the places India voted against Russia. Voting on Russia's referendums, should be made public. India voted. Russia didn't want them to be made public, but India voted. But these are procedural issues. On substantial issues like the Russian invasion, attacks on civilians, humanitarian access, nuclear safety issues, referendums, and annexation, these have all been UN Security Council resolutions. India has abstained. Remember, an abstention is not an absent vote. It is actually a considered decision not to take a stand. And the U.S. and the European Union have repeatedly said that abstainers that include India and China regularly are actually tacitly helping Russia. So what is India's explanation of its stand? And it keeps refreshing this explanation each time it abstains. At the United Nations, India's permanent representative, Richira Kamboj, gave a detailed explanation after the vote. It's called the EOV on those referendums. So just watch uh, what she said first, and then we'll talk a bit about it.
1: Our decision to abstain is consistent with our our well-thought-out national position. I would also quote my External Affairs Minister from his address to this very August Assembly last month, and I quote, India is on the side of peace and will remain firmly there We are on the side that respects the UN Charter and its founding principles. We are on the side that calls for dialogue and diplomacy as the only way out. We are on the side of those struggling to make ends meet, even as they stare at the escalating costs of food, of fertilizers, and of fuel. It is therefore in our collective interest to work constructively, both within the United Nations and outside, in finding an early resolution to this conflict. Mr. President, my Prime Minister has said unequivocally that this cannot be an era of war. With this firm resolve to strive for a peaceful solution through dialogue and diplomacy, India has decided to abstain.
0: In addition to what she said, over there, Ambassador Kamboj actually set out a number of reasons. First, she said, dialogue is the only solution to the issue and channels of communication are needed. And this is one reason India is keeping its channels of communication open by abstaining at the United Nations. The second, that drastic measures, she said, will further impact food and energy security uh, for the global south and should not complicate a struggling global economy. Uh, So making a very pointed reference about the fact that any such measures that the UN General Assembly or Security Council takes against Russia would affect food security. Third, she said the resolution did not address pressing issues at play of importance to India, didn't name them quite explicitly. But another reason that is put out is India's traditional relationship with Russia. Uh, The fact that India is dependent on Russian hardware, on oil and energy now, Remember when he was asked in Australia, also this happened this week, whether India would rethink its relationship with Russia, particularly its defense ties. Here is what External Affairs Minister S.J. Shankar said, listen in.
2: Uh, with regard to India and Russia, we have really a long-standing relationship with Russia, uh, a relationship that has certainly served our interests well. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, when, when uh, you asked about the military equipment issue. We have, as you know, a substantial inventory of Soviet and Russian origin weapons, and that inventory actually grew for a variety of reasons. You know, the merits of the weapon systems themselves, but also because uh, for, a, for a multiple decades, uh, Western countries did not supply, supply uh, weapons to India, and in fact saw a military dictatorship next to us as the preferred partner. So I think we all, in international politics, deal with what we have. We make judgments, judgments which are reflective of both our future interests as well as our current situation. And my sense is, in terms of this current conflict, like every military conflict, there are learnings from it, and I'm sure my very professional colleagues in the military uh, would be studying it very carefully.
0: Mr. Shankar's explanation over there for why India really needed uh, to take defense hardware from Russia and continues to have this relationship. But as the months wear on, more questions are going to be asked about India's stand and particularly about the contradictions that seem to be emerging. And, and it is possible to see that there is a little discomfort in explaining all of India's positions particularly since it has continued to abstain so regularly on any resolution. The first question being asked, if India's dependence on Russia is because of defense supplies, then isn't this counterproductive because supplies are going to be reduced due to the war from Russia, in which case India will perforce have to cut its dependence on Russia. So is India being a bit short-sighted by making this an issue? The second, if India's votes at the UN are due to not wanting to disrupt a buyer-seller relationship with India, then shouldn't Russia be equally worried about not losing its biggest buyer when it itself is facing this huge uh, economic crisis? This third, if India adheres to the United Nations Charter and India continues to say the UN Charter is is very vital, why isn't it criticizing Russia for violating the UN Charter? Uh, UN Secretary General has clearly said that the invasion of Ukraine is a violation of that UN Charter. The fourth, how can India underline sovereignty and territorial integrity? Especially given India's own sensitivities on referendums, including on Kashmir, more recently on Khalistan, we've heard India speak to Canada and the UK about that. And at the same time, India refusing to vote against, uh, vote for resolutions against Russia for doing the same, for holding referendums, for annexing territory, not peacefully. And even on sanctions, you know, India has said repeatedly, and I think the Petroleum Minister said in Washington this week, that India will buy oil from wherever it needs to, indicating its oil purchases from Russia that have increased manifold in the last few months. But actually, India gave up oil over the threat of sanctions, uh, purchasing them from Iran and Venezuela just three years ago. So is India actually working in an independent manner or is this really about Russia? The fact is, India has a major global footprint and from the 1950s has played a role in global peacemaking as well. It has a particular role here in the Ukraine crisis as one of the few countries with open lines of communications to both Moscow and Kiev. But it can only play that role if it is consistent to principles, not to parties in the conflict. And as the war progresses and intensifies, India seems to not be able to hold this position where it continues to vote in one way and then explain its votes in the other. It's certainly a conundrum for our diplomats to deal with. I'm going to get you some reading recommendations right away. Since we regularly revisit the Russia-Ukraine conflict on worldview, I would urge you to look at some of our previous recommendations as well. I'm going to try and get you some of the new books that may interest you. Many of you write in to say, we can't read so many books. How, how do you read all these books? I will be very honest, I don't read all these books. Many of them are given to me as uh, recommendations from experts whose word I trust. And these books certainly I have not read because they are either just out or just coming out. One is Ukraine's Vault, Revolt, Russia's Revenge by Christopher Smith. He's an American State Department officer, so that's there's that view. The second is Russia's Road to War with Ukraine. Invasion Amidst the Ashes of Empires and uh, the Empire Logic, something uh, uh, Samir Puri, the author, who's an academic and expert, has used in previous books as well. Overreach, the Inside Story of Putin and Russia's War Against Ukraine by Owen Matthews, also a recent book. And then there's this very interesting book, perhaps from a more, uh, if you like, both sides point of view. Ukraine and Russia History, Why is Russia Invading Ukraine and What Does Putin Want? This is from Roman Abramovich. Now, he mustn't be confused with the oligarch Roman Abramovich. Uh, very, he's a very well-known author who has written about these issues and speaks really from a ground perspective, worth reading. Uh, then some books on India that are coming out, How Realist is India's National Security Policy, is a book coming out in March 2023 by Kanti Bajpai, should be worth reading. Uh, India and the United Nations, the Interplay of Interests and Principles, something I just spoke about, this is by CSR Murthy, he's an academic who writes about Indian diplomacy. Then there's a book called Power and Diplomacy, India's Foreign Policies During the Cold War by Zoravar Dalit Singh. This is certainly a book that uh, will, you will find interesting if you want to know more about Mr. Jaishakar's comments there about India's position during the Cold War and defense procurement. And an older book worth reading for a different perspective. To the Western view, but coming from the West, is from someone who's become very prominent in india because of some of the videos he made about the ukraine war it's called john Mearsheimer, and the book is the tragedy of great power politics i certainly hope you enjoy reading all of these and join us again here on Worldview from the team here thanks for watching